Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from the sinful desires which, are, which war against you and your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to the governors who send governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. Do not give up your freedom as you cover as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood and believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your master with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for, the, for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an, as an example that you should, show, should follow his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted him to himself, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, and him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep who have gone astray, but now you have been returned to the shepherd, overseer of your souls." May God bless to us the understanding of his holy word. I want to ask you first this morning, what do you do when you're facing an inconvenient truth? What do you do when you hear something that you know is true, but that you don't want to be true? Like when the doctor says that you need to get into shape. Or when the mechanic says your car's going to need some major work done. Or when someone who loves you tells you that you need to go have that difficult conversation with that friend that you're fighting with. How do you respond when you hear an inconvenient truth? I'll tell you what you do most of the time. There's two things that we do. Either you stick your head in the sand, you know it's true but you just kind of ignore it, just don't go to the doctor and the problem will go away, right? Or you try to explain the truth away. Either you stick your head in the sand or you, you search for an alternative truth. 
You twist the narrative. You try as hard as you can to convince yourself that that thing is not actually true and therefore you don't need to do anything about it. This is when you start hopping around from doctor to doctor until you finally find a doctor that says what you want to hear. We stick our heads in the sand or we twist the truth. Well, friends, the Bible is full of inconvenient truths, isn't it? Things that God reveals to us that we don't like to accept, that are hard for us to accept. We know they're true, but we wish they weren't. And over the next two weeks, we're going to consider one of the more difficult truths in the Bible, the idea of submission. In the first, uh, sorry, first Peter chapter 2 and 3, the Apostle Peter tells us that we should submit to every human authority in every sphere of life. We should submit to the authority of the state. We should submit to the authority of the workplace. We should submit to the authority of the home. And for some of us, that's hard to hear. That's troubling. But in this chapter, Peter goes even further than that to say that there are situations where it is God's will that you suffer as a result of that submission. These are inconvenient truths. And the temptation for us this morning is that either we stick our heads in the sand, we just walk out that door and forget everything that we just heard and we move on as if it just is not in the Bible, or we try to find a reason to dismiss it. We go, oh, that's, that's from back then. That's a different context. That doesn't apply today. This is the 21st century now. That's the temptation for us this morning. But there is a third option, isn't there? There's the option where instead of ignoring the truth of God's word and instead of trying to explain it away, we try to understand it and we try to accept it and we try to live it out. But that's going to take some real humility from our part, isn't it? That's going to require us to accept that maybe God is in a better position to tell us what is good than we are to decide it for ourselves. That's going to require a radical reshaping of how we see the world and that is going to require God to work deep in our hearts. And so I'm going to pray now and ask that he would do that. Would you pray with me? Lord God, these are challenging words that we're about to consider. Please, would you give us the humility to not sit over your word and to try and decide how it applies? Give us the humility to sit under your word, to let you speak speak to us and address us to let you tell us what is good. And Lord, would you give us the strength and the ability to put into practice these difficult and challenging words. We ask this because we do trust that it is good for us. And we ask this because we believe that it brings you glory. To do your work in us, we pray. Amen. got to put that up there. I'm very tired this morning.
Hope away from home. That's the message of 1 Peter. Christians are people who live as temporary residents of this world, but who are on our way to our true home. A perfect, permanent, forever home where we live with God. And it's such a great message for us to hear, hope away from home, because when we live here in Noosa, it is tempting to feel like we are already in heaven. Sometimes we feel like heaven on earth has it's come, we're here, and we start to love this life too much. And when that happens, 1 Peter reminds us that this is not our home. We're actually made for another home. This is like the airport terminal, the destination is yet to come. But, on the other hand, when life is miserable, when you're suffering, when life is hard, when your faith is being tested, 1 Peter comes and reminds us that we have a precious hope. Even though we live in this world that is not our home, we still have a precious hope. And not even the worst suffering in this life can take away that hope. This is a helpful message for us to hear, no matter where we're at in life. And so far, Peter's been writing about this to his readers. He's reminding us and his original readers of the future hope of our permanent home. But then he spends most of the letter actually showing how this future hope impacts life right now. You see, it would be tempting, and people have done this, to go, okay, Christians are part of a forever permanent home that is not this world. Well, let's just forget about this world. But no, Peter says Christians are not just people who are waiting for heaven. No, our future destination shapes how we live right now. And so in verses 11 to 12, he gives us this nice little summary. He says, because we are God's people, because we don't belong to this world, but to another, first, abstain from sinful desires. Second, live good lives among the pagans, which means non-Christians. And so in the rest of chapter 2 and 3, he goes on to flesh out these two ideas, these two points. He shows us what it looks like for us in a whole variety of situations to abstain from sinful desires and live good lives among non-Christians. And straight away, Peter says the first way that we can do this, the first way that living as temporary residents of this world is to let other people exert authority over our lives. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Down in verse 18, he instructs slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Chapter 3, verse 1, which we're going to look at next week, he continues with this and he says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We're going to spend a bit more time on that next week. But it goes without saying that you're not going to hear this message from anyone else out there in our world. 
This is not popular advice. No business school, no New York Times bestseller, no influencer on social media is going to share this message with you. They're not going to tell you to submit to authorities because our culture teaches the opposite of that. Our culture hates authority. Our culture says the only person who should tell you what to do is you. Submission, that's, that's oppression, that's dehumanizing. Our world thinks this is insane. And perhaps you do too. No one else is going to teach you this. None of your friends or your neighbours or your family members are going to be doing this. This is a radical call for us to be different from our world, to show that we don't belong to the world. But the big question is, why? Why would you do this? Why would you submit to authority? Why should you, as a Christian, let a non-Christian government or a boss who has completely different values to you, why should you let anyone exert authority over you? Well, Peter gives us three reasons. The first reason that we should submit to every human authority is because God says it is good and it brings him glory. In verses 11 to 12, which summarize the whole section, what does Peter say? Live such good lives among the non-Christian neighbors so that they might see your good deeds and glorify God. You see, in Peter's mind, submission is good. But why? Well, submission is good because authority is good. You know, God designed this world so that it functions under authority. He built authority structures into it. Now, people in our culture like to paint a picture where authority is a corruption of the good order and that our ultimate goal is to live in a place where there is no hierarchy, where there is no one who has authority over you. It's insane. It it won't work. But more to the point, it's not how God made the world. God built authority structures into this place. We see it in the family. God designed it so that parents have authority over their kids. At least that's the intention. But no one thinks that we should just let kids do whatever they want. That would be crazy. If I let my kids do whatever they want, they would have died like 10,000 times already. Kids don't know what's good for them, do they? They need authority. And in fact, they thrive under good, loving authority. You see, God has built authority into his creation. He's built it into families. He's also built it into communities. In Romans chapter 13, Paul makes this point a little bit clearer, where he says that, The governing authorities are God's servants. Paul says that God established governments, which means whether they recognize it or not, our mayor, Claire Stewart, our premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, our prime minister, Mr. Albanese, the police, the tax office, they are God's servants. They are there, they exist 
for the good ordering of God's world. They're there for our good. He put them there. It's not how we think, though, is it? When you get a letter with a nice picture of your car on the driving on the highway, and it tells you that you've been speeding, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Don't you just say, oh, isn't it good that God has established authority and he's given authority to the police to to correct wrongdoing? Isn't that good? No one says that. Of course not. We, We don't like that. Because we don't like authority. And the reason we don't like authority is because we want control. And the thing that we need to understand here is that if human authorities are established by God, which they are, then rejecting those authorities means rejecting God's authority. Friends, submission is good because authority is a good gift from God. And because it is good, it brings God glory when we submit. But notice, Peter says it actually brings other people to glorify God too. He says we should live good lives so that Pagans, our non-Christian neighbours might see our good deeds and glorify God. You see, our good deeds are attractive. It's actually possible that people will see you submitting to human authorities, obeying human authorities, and although they think you're crazy, they will still be attracted to it. Now, how does that work? Uh, Picture this. Imagine you're out on the street later today. Uh, You see a man carrying a briefcase and all of a sudden it pops open and outflows money. Cash just flying out. Hundreds and thousands of dollars. And it just starts blowing away in the wind. And imagine that you you expect this man that he's going to start frantically trying to gather the money back. He's going to try and get it all back. But he doesn't do that. Imagine that you see this man, the, the cash is just blowing away and he looks at it, shrugs his shoulders and just keeps walking. What comes to mind there? I mean, you probably think he's a drug dealer or something, but you think he's crazy, right? How absurd, what is he doing? Why isn't he going after that money? But the only thing that will explain it is that he has so much more. The only explanation that why a man could just let hundreds of thousands of dollars blow away is that he has more at home. That that is nothing compared to what else he has. Friends, in the same way, our culture thinks authority, autonomy, sorry, self-authority is precious. Our culture thinks the best thing that you can do is not have anyone tell you what to do. That's freedom. When your neighbours see you gladly obeying authority, they'll think you're crazy. But do you know what else they'll see? They'll see the only explanation is that you have something more precious. That you have something better. Submission to authorities is good because it pleases God. It brings other people to glorify God. But I hear your object- objection. What do we do when authority is not good? 
What do we do when governments abuse their authority? When police are corrupt? When your boss at work is a tyrant? What do you do when the Prime Minister breaks an election promise? What do you do when your boss is incompetent? What do you do when the people who have authority over you demonstrate that they are completely unqualified to lead? What do you do? Well, Peter answers, you submit. He tells slaves to submit to their masters, whether they're good or bad. He tells Christians to submit to the emperor. And at the time of writing, the emperor was a man named Nero, who, among other things, was quite well known for brutally torturing Christians. And Peter says, submit. And you're thinking, how? How can that be? How can that be good? That makes no sense. We find it hard enough to accept that we should submit to even a good authority, but a bad one? You see, the reason we can submit to bad leaders is because we're not looking to them to decide whether or not to obey them. No, we look to God. Notice this, at every point that Peter instructs us to submit, he instructs us to submit with our eyes on God, not on the human leaders. Have a look, verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. In verse 16, he says, Live as God's slaves. In verse 18, he says, Slaves in reverent fear of God. Submit yourselves to your masters. In verse 19, he says it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. When you are conscious of God, when your eyes are on him, when you fear him, it's then that you'll have the freedom to submit even to the worst of leaders. When your eyes are fixed on God, you stop looking to the government to make your life worth living. God's already done that for you. Which means that the government could cause the entire economy to collapse. The government could threaten our safety by poking China. The the government could make your life miserable. And yet, we can gladly obey them because we have a wealth and a security and a joy that will never perish or spoil or fade. Friends, the more we have our eyes on God, the more other things will fade away into insignificance. When we're captivated by God when we know the hope that we have, friends, we can joyfully submit to every human authority. But, because we submit with our eyes fixed on God, it also means there are limits to our submission, aren't there? You see, we're not called to give human authorities our undivided allegiance. Only God deserves that. And so in verse 17, Peter says we should honour the emperor, 
but only God is to be feared. Which means that if and when a human authority commands us to sin, our answer to them has to be the same one that Peter himself gave to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5. We must obey God, not human beings. Friends, we submit because it leads others to glorify God. We submit because we are captivated by God. But there's a third reason that Peter gives us to submit, and I think it's the best one. In verses 21 to 25, Peter shows us how Jesus has given us not only a great reason to submit, but also the motivation, the ability. Take a look at verse 21. He says, To this you were called... He's been talking about suffering as a, as a slave under a bad master. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We talk a lot about being like Jesus in church, don't we? He is our model of what it means to love God and to love our neighbour. So most of the time when we think about being like Jesus, I suspect you have that kind of moral example in mind. We be like Jesus by loving like Jesus. That's, that's true. But do you see what Peter says here? There's actually another way in which we live like Jesus. We suffer like Jesus. He is our example for suffering. The word used here is the word for like a stencil that a kid would trace to learn how to write. He's the pattern that we follow. We're called to actually follow in his footsteps. While we live in this world as temporary residents, it's our calling to follow in the way of Jesus who submitted perfectly to every human authority. And he had every reason to not submit, right? He is God. He rules the world. He committed no sin. And yet, what did he do? He allowed himself to be judged unjustly. He didn't retaliate. He didn't speak back. He didn't defend his rights. He could have. He had every right to demand that these human authorities worship him. But what did he do? He gave himself. He humbled himself. And there's two reasons he did that, friends. Verse 23, because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He trusted that his father would make all things right. He trusted that he didn't need to be right in the eyes of the world because he was right in the eyes of his father. And friends, that's an example for us to follow. So often we're concerned with what our world thinks of us. We're so proud that we need to be able to tell the government when they're wrong. But you know what matters more? What God thinks of you. And God looks on you and sees Jesus' righteousness. He sees you as right. That's what matters most, pleasing him. The first reason that Jesus did this is that because he entrusted his father. But there's a second reason he did it. 
another reason that Jesus willingly humbled himself. Humiliated himself. Subjected himself to the worst of suffering. Verse 24, he did it for you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Do you see? The reason we should submit, the reason we can submit, is because Jesus' submission is the very reason that you and I have a hope that extends beyond this life. Without that, there is no way we could do this. If this life was all there is, how could we throw it away and let someone else tell us what to do, even when they don't have our best interests at heart? Wait, we couldn't do that. But we've been born again into a living hope. We've had our sin dealt with so that we might die to sin, that we might live for righteousness, that we might live for God. And friends, we're about to celebrate that, that death to sin, that living for righteousness at the Lord's table in a moment. But how about our prayer? Lord God, these are inconvenient truths. Words that are hard for us to accept, that go against every fibre of our being. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to seek your approval more than we seek safety and comfort in this life. We ask that you would help us to delight in pleasing you more than we delight in being right or defending our rights. Lord, grant us the humility to be submissive in this life, to obey our civic leaders, to obey our leaders in the workplace. We ask that you would help us to submit to their authority, not because they necessarily deserve it, but out of fear and respect for you. We pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who submitted for our sake. Lord, enable us to do this by your spirit so that we might please you and so that other people might see our good deeds and glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.